0: What defines a family? Is it the people we're related to? The people we live with? The people we laugh and dance with? Or the people who know us best? What if a family is more than that? More than just our parents and siblings? What if it's not just the bloodline that connects us to our by the community that helps shape our future. A family that values experiencing the wholeness only found through Jesus. A family that will be known for expressing love and truth, embodying radical hospitality, and a common vision to see the whole community be whole in Christ.
1: Tolkien to my mother. She started it. When I was a boy, my mom encouraged me to read The Hobbit. I didn't do it right away, but in sixth grade I took an elective class titled Great Books. Not all of them were, (laughs) but we got to read The Hobbit in that class, and I fell in love with The World Revealed by J.R.R. Tolkien. My mother was delighted and bought me my own copy of the books. I still have it. I, 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 this is not the only one I have, but I still have this one. And my, my mom is passionate about hospitality, and today's message kind of really springs from my own mother's desire to show hospitality to people. I, she's passionate about it, and I, I can't help but wonder if a little bit of Bilbo Baggins' hospitality in The Hobbit was... My mom was hoping it would rub off on me, I think, and that I would do this. You see, in the story, uh, the book opens with Bilbo Baggins, The Hobbit, meeting the wizard Gandalf out in front of his front door. He invites him to tea, and then we pick up the story... The next day, he'd almost forgotten about Gandalf. He did not remember things very well unless he put them down in his engagement tablet like this, Gandalf, tea, Wednesday. Yesterday, he'd been too flustered to do anything of the kind. Just before tea time, there came a tremendous ring on the front doorbell, and then he remembered. He rushed and put on the kettle and put out another cup and saucer and an extra cake or two and ran to the door. I'm so sorry to keep you waiting, he was going to say, when he saw that it was not Gandalf at all. It was a dwarf with a blue beard tucked into a golden belt and a very bright eyes under his dark green hood. As soon as the door opened, he pushed inside just as if he'd been expected. He hung his hooded cloak on the nearest peg and, Dwalin, at your service, he said with a low bow. Bilbo Baggins, at yours, said the hobbit, too surprised to ask any questions at the moment. When the silence that followed had become uncomfortable, he added, I'm just about to take tea. Pray come and have some with me. A little stiff, perhaps, but he meant it kindly. "'And what would you do if an uninvited dwarf came "'and hung his things up in your hall "'without a word of explanation?' "'They'd not been at table long. "'In fact, they'd hardly reached the third cake "'when there came another, even louder ring at the bell. "'Excuse me,' said the hobbit, "'and off he went to the door. "'So you've got here at last.' "'That was what he was going to say to Gandalf this time. "'But it was not Gandalf. "'Instead, there was a very old-looking dwarf on the step "'with a white beard and a scarlet hood, "'and he too hopped inside as soon as the door was open, "'just as if he'd been invited.' I see they've begun to arrive already, he said, when he caught sight of Dwalin's green hood hanging up. He hung his red one next to it, and Balin, at your service, he said with his hand on his breast. Thank you, said Bilbo with a gasp. It was not the correct thing to say, but they have begun to arrive, had flustered him badly. He liked visitors, but he liked to know them before they arrived, and he preferred to ask them himself. He had a horrible thought that the cakes might run short And then he, as the host, he knew his duty and stuck to it, however painful, he might have to go without. Come along in and have some tea, he managed to say, after taking a deep breath. Tolkien's story is set in the Shire, a prehistorical and mythological version of England. But it doesn't matter whether it's fantasy or actual history, because it seems that here, in these modern days in the West, We have strayed far from ancient expectations about hospitality, and I believe that Jesus is calling us to recover that, and that it is and should be a big part of finding wholeness in Jesus. We're going to talk about that today, so I mean it with my whole heart when I say to you, welcome. I am really glad you're here. If you're here in the room, thank you for being here. For those watching online, thanks for logging in. Take a second, whether you're here or online, and fill out your connection card and let us know that you're here because when you do that, that helps us extend hospitality to you. It helps us be hospitable, and we want to do that. And also, happy Mother's Day. This is is a day that is a day of joy for many, a day of sorrow for some. And for others, kind of a mixed bag. (laughs) It's a little bit of both. And so we recognize, just like Shauna did earlier, that that there are some that are going to rejoice today, and there are some who are going to cry today and grieve, and others who will kind of feel both (laughs) kind of a bittersweet day. And I think part of hospitality is responding in kind, right? We rejoice with those who rejoice. We grieve with those who grieve. We just love each other. And that's, I think, the way that we should respond because hospitality is about making other people feel wanted and welcome and valued. Jan Brown last week was telling me about Kim and Brian Tabor's uh, reaction to our uh, most recent Fear Not Women's Conference. And they told her, both of them said, we love coming to Chapel Rock because of, of the love and hospitality that this church always shows us. You know, they were very complimentary. They're just like, you guys do such a good job at making us feel welcome. And from what I hear, um, I wasn't there. <laughs> it, was, it was a great event. we got some other great stuff coming up. You check your bulletin, right? This coming Saturday, uh, parents, if you've got kids who are online, which is like all of them, um, there's, there's a conference for you uh, th- uh, this coming Saturday uh, and on, on internet safety and what that looks like in your family. And then uh, on May 22nd, in, in sun, that Sunday evening, we'll talk more about this next week, we have a, a prayer event here in this room. And just be, I want you to be aware of those things. There's information in your bulletin about both. I'm, I'm grateful that my friend Kyle could lead us in worship today. And we've worked diligently to make sure that his experience here will be positive and try to extend hospitality to him that way. Hospitality is something that Chapel Rock has a history of doing well, but I believe that God is calling us to practice it even stronger, even more, to push even further into what that means. And we're going to talk about that today. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11:28 28 is where we're going to start today. A couple weeks ago, we started a sermon series called Family Values on the most important ideas that, that drive ministry forward here at Chapel Rock. Hopefully, you had a chance to grab uh, the booklet that goes along with this series. Grab it here. There we go. So there's the booklet, and it's just kind of a companion volume to this sermon series. If you didn't get one, uh, you can grab it at the Narthex on your way out. For those watching online, Zach will put a link in the chat, and you can download a PDF version of this. But it's just it's designed to go along with and kind of be a weekly devotion to, get your, uh, to expand on what we're talking about on Sunday, as well as to help you continue to put legs on our vision. All right, So we want you to be aware about that. When I first articulated this idea of the whole community whole in Christ early in 2018, one of the things that we we did as we were laying out these visions, uh, this vision and these values, was I really believe that God was guiding us through that process of putting specific language on this. And I want to show you a part of that process. So what I'm going to do kind of is pull the curtain back and and let you uh, look behind it. Because as we were processing, like how are we going to, How are we going to advance this forward? How are we going to help people find wholeness in Jesus? We came up with these values, and there are two ideas that I want to put in front of you. The first is this, that each one of these values needed to have an infinitive in it. Now, If you're not a grammar nerd, an infinitive is an I-N-G word, okay? And it implies process. It implies direction toward a goal, not some static and possibly unattainable ideal. Right? The idea is that there's some ing word in there that says that we're kind of we're moving this direction, right? So we talk about experiencing the wholeness of Jesus. We're moving that way. Last week we talked about expressing love and truth. We're, we're moving toward that. Today we're talking about embodying radical hospitality. This is a process. We're moving toward it. So that's the first thing. The second thing that was really important is that each value needed to express the essence of each corresponding stage of our strategy. Now we say our strategy for you to find wholeness every week when we do our benediction. So if you're new here at Chapel Rock, at the end of our service, we do this thing called a benediction. We all say it together and it's a reminder of what we're about. So relax, you're not part of a cult, okay? Just chill. When we all stand up and say this together, you know, it's okay. but we do this, right? The, I, and the idea is that these values support that strategy actually happening. Right? We talk about bringing our brokenness to Jesus. Why? Because we need to experience his wholeness. That's why. And, and then we, we change, right? We, we experience that. We experience wholeness. We change. Our lives change to be more like Jesus. How does that happen? Usually because we're confronted with love and truth. That's <laughs> expressed to us somehow. And what's the result of that? Well, we go and we share that with somebody else. How does that happen? What's the the venue? Usually around a dining room table or across the backyard fence. I'm convinced, church, that the next wave of evangelistic effectiveness is not going to start here. It's going to start in your dining room. In the 21st century, I'm I'm watching culture. I'm paying attention to it. I'm watching the shift that's happening. And the next wave of evangelistic effectiveness for the church, I don't believe, is going to start here. It might end here, or this might capitalize on it, but it will begin in your dining room or over the fence in your backyard. That'll that'll be the spark plug that moves it forward, which is why I think it's so critical for us to talk about hospitality because I believe that that's what God wants to use in the 21st century to grow his kingdom. We want to equip you and give you tools to be able to do that and embody that value. Now, I, need to, I know you probably don't use that word every day. Let me define it, okay? Embodying is, means to be an expression of or give a tangible or visible form to a spirit or an idea, right? When we talk about sharing wholeness with the world, I think the primary way that that happens is going to be through hospitality and various expressions of that. Why don't you come on over for dinner? Let's hang out. Let's, let's, uh, let's go grab coffee, Right? These wholeness-sharing opportunities tend to cluster around times that we're able to give tangible or visible form to the spirit of hospitality that is both modeled and commanded in the New Testament. And I think Jesus is the ultimate example of this. If you want to know what hospitality looks like or what it should look like, just look at the life of Jesus. Here's the thing, church. Jesus was functionally homeless, right? I mean, he even said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Like, like once he left home, he kind of just camped out wherever he was. He'd stayed at Peter's house, and maybe he occasionally stayed with uh, Mary and Joseph and his half-brothers and sisters. But, you know, he, he moved around. He was an itinerant preacher. He functionally homeless. And yet, when we read the New Testament, everywhere Jesus goes, he, he plays the role of host, doesn't he? He's always making sure that people have what they need, right? When you go to a party and the host or the hostess, what do they do? Are you okay? Do you need some food? Need some drink? You got a comfy chair? Are you good? Is it too warm? Is it too cold? Jesus is constantly doing that. Now, he never, ever, ever hedged on the truth. He, not one time. But he was always making people feel welcomed and wanted and valued. He was showing hospitality to people. And you can hear his heartbeat this way in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Look at this with me. Jesus says, come to me, all who are, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The call to discipleship is a call to hospitality. Jesus was always inviting people to share his life. Now, he was the only one who was ever truly whole. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But instead of hoarding it to himself and being like, look at what I got, isn't it awesome? He's constantly sharing it with people. He wants other people to experience it. That's hospitality. Without ever compromising on true righteousness, he never sinned. He made everyone who crossed his path feel welcomed and valued and wanted even those Pharisees and teachers of the law who were so often his antagonists perceived love from Jesus. He welcomed them. They very often were hostile to him. They schemed to get him killed and he knew they would do it. And he still greeted them in public square. And he talked to them. And he gave them his time. Instead of just being like, whatever. He showed them hospitality. Hospitality. He's the ultimate example of this, and I believe he's calling us to do the same. That's the big idea this morning, that we change lives by being hospitable because Jesus is the ultimate host. Listen, church, this is not something we just picked out of thin air because it sounded good or would look good on a marquee or at a preach. This mandate runs all through Scripture. Scripture. This biblical imperative, and it's a, it is a command to practice hospitality, requires us to make a response to two things. Right? There are two responses that are required of us. A, a change, a response to a change, and a response to a challenge. Here's the change. Radical used to be normal. That needs to change. What is now radical used to be considered normal. What is now radical, opening up your home to people who are different from you somehow, used to be normal. And I think that needs to change. And part of the way that we respond to this biblical command is to take what used to be normal, radical hospitality, and now isn't, right? And make it part of our normal again. Travel in the ancient world was loaded with danger. Physical danger and social danger. It it was dangerous. The inns of the ancient world were not nice places. Right? If if your experience in travel is to check into a nice hotel and you got a clean bed and and you can lock your door at night with like nine locks, right, and and there's a nice breakfast in the morning with good coffee, that was not travel in the ancient world. Inns of the ancient world were dangerous. They were dark. And even if there would have been room at the inn for Joseph and Mary, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have stayed there. Right? Like, she would have been like, Mm-mm. get back on the donkey, Joseph. We are not staying here. Like, they, they were dark, and they were dangerous places, and, and you didn't want to be there. And so typically what would happen is, when you traveled, especially with your family, you would go into a community, you'd go to the public square, and you just kind of look for a friendly face, and look for a greeting. And it was incumbent on the people in that community to go up to you and say, hey, I don't recognize you. Are you, are you from out of town? Do you need a place to stay? Do you need a meal? And that's how that would happen in the ancient world. God tells his people in Exodus 22:21, 21, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. And then he encodes it in the law. In Leviticus 19, verse 33, when God says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. Boy, does that sound familiar? Like something maybe Jesus said? For you were foreigners in Egypt. And then he ties it to his identity. I am the Lord your God. God is talking about strangers here. This kind of blew my mind this week. I'd read the word hospitality a bunch. My mom modeled it. We, We had people around our table a lot. But I started studying it a little bit more. And, and I, do you know the word translated hospitality in the New Testament do you know what it is? It's a compound Greek word it comes, the, the, the first part, philo, is one of the words for love the second part of the word, it's philo is the word, the second part of the word is the word for stranger xenos it's actually, our word xenophobia, afraid, fear of strangers, right? it's, it's, it's that same root word so in the New Testament, the word translated hospitality is phyloxenia, love of strangers. Or maybe another way to translate it, making strangers feel like family. That's what's commanded in the, in the Bible. In the biblical world, everybody knew that, right? There's this hospitality code. It had four stages. All right, so, so the first stage is this initial invitation. You see somebody you don't know. Hi, I don't know you. Are you not, you're not from around here. Let me Come here, let's talk. And then there's kind of this questioning phase where you're finding out about them, where you're going, where you're from, what you are doing. And then there's the invitation stage and provision, right? You play, Hey, come to my house and have, have dinner with us. And then the next day there's this departure and blessing. You pronounce a benediction on them. Go, go in peace. Go with God. Everybody knew that. That was, that was the ancient code in, in the world. Everybody knew that. So it's not very revolutionary when Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, love of strangers. Right? The author of Hebrews is describing what's considered normal, and he, he tells them why it matters so much. He says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. The principle here is that hospitality is an expression of love. Now that doesn't mean it's easy. It's not easy, right? Which is why Peter writes in 1 Peter 4:9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Because sometimes it is hard. It reminds me of a story I heard about a lady who was going to have some friends over. It was a very warm summer day, probably like we're about to get next week, right? Very warm. And, and she has her little girl with her who's helping her get ready, and, and she says, now, honey, when our guests come, I'm going to ask you to pray for the meal, and I want you to pray. And she says, well, Mom, what should I say? And she goes, just repeat what you've heard me say. <laughs> Don't get ahead of me, church. <laughs> so the guests come, and they're, you know, Mom's sweating up a storm and getting the dinner on the table, and, and she says, okay, honey, would you please offer, would you please pray for the meal? I said, okay. And she says, dear Lord, why did I invite these people over on such a hot day, you know? It's hard. Sometimes it's tough to do this. And especially in a culture that is dominated by expressive individualism. What used to be normal is now radical. What was normal in the ancient world is is completely radical for us now. What was normal for the church in Acts is radical for us now. See, if you've never left this country, or if you've never studied other cultures, you know, your idea of hospitality might be like those people on HGTV, right? Like there's two of them and a dog, and they need a five-bedroom, four-bath house with a gourmet kitchen so they can, you know, warm up their gourmet chicken nuggets or whatever. But, um, you know, because we entertain a lot. Uh, right, yeah, sure. But if you've traveled outside this land, or you're from other parts of the world, your idea of hospitality is probably a lot closer to what's in this book than, than, than what I, even, even in a home that valued it, what I grew up with. And there's it's no knock on my mom. She's the paragon of this. I mean, she's, she's excellent. You, any, any of us could learn about this from my folks. Let, let's look at a time that the church was really doing this well. Look with me at Acts 2.44. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Hospitality. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, many of you will recognize the context of that passage, right? I mean, that's the birth of the church. That's just right after Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? And 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus that day. That's the context. The the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church that day. There's there's this code of hospitality that the ancient world knew. This, this went way beyond what was normal and became radical even for that time and culture. And it had results. Did you catch the connection here? It had connection with the, the, the idea of people getting saved right? They ate, they, every day they're sharing their lives in their homes. What happens? Every day people are getting baptized. Every day people are getting saved. It's not a coincidence that those things are connected, church. I would argue that's part of God's plan. I would argue that, that that's, that's how that happens. And in a culture just that's becoming more and more like the first century every day, more pluralistic, further away from Judeo-Christian roots and heritage, we need to recapture that We need to recapture that value and live that out. Jesus is calling us to embody radical hospitality just like the early church did so that we can really reach our community. And that will probably require you implement some changes in your life too. See, living this value doesn't just require a change to make what used to be normal, normal again. (laughs) We have to rise to the challenge This idea also requires a challenge, and that challenge is to move from fear to faith. The reason that ancient hospitality codes even existed was because of fear. The eminent scholar Leland Ryken says outsiders were suspect and had to be approached cautiously. But for a community not to approach them with a ready invitation would be dishonorable and could result in violence. The failure of a community to approach the stranger and issue an invitation before nightfall to dine and lodge in an established household was a serious breach of honor. And he goes on later and he writes, Israelite hospitality went beyond the merely customary and took its impetus from something other than the fear of stranger. It arose from the heart of a people whose identity and home rested in the God who had made them, listen, 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 no longer strangers. And the church took Israel's identity and pushed it even further, and they moved from fear to faith. So to accept this challenge, to go from fear to faith, requires two things. First of all, it requires death to self. You know, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He talks about dying to ourselves. The simple fact is God is calling us, church, to lay aside our fears and trust Him in areas where we need to embody radical hospitality. And in an era when that's not normal like it used to be, that requires some faith. You just kind of got to step out there and, oh, here we go. <laughs> Spirit, I need you to lead me because I don't know what this looks like. There are areas where we can embody radical hospitality. And you're like, well, Casey, like what? I'm glad you asked. Because there are a couple just to draw from the news recently. You, I'm sure, have been following the situation with the war in Ukraine. And we're following that. And and what it has done is bumped out of the news the horrible situation in Afghanistan before it. Right, a couple months now we've been tracking that, but prior to, you know, Russia invading Ukraine, everything in the news was about the horrible situation in Afghanistan. There's a website that you can go to. It's welcome.us. It's non-profit, it's nonpartisan. but this is attached, this is connected with the United States government. And it's an opportunity for American citizens to show hospitality in a practical way to people from Afghanistan who are maybe here already in America, and people in Ukraine who are generally, they're all still in Europe. They're not necessarily coming here, because they want to go home, right? They they want the war to end, they want to go home. But it's a way for us to, on a practical level, provide what they need, and maybe some would want to come here, you know, whatever. It's, It's a portal. Basically, this is a portal for you to help refugees, from Afghanistan, from Ukraine. It's a practical way to do that. That's one thing. As I'm sure you're aware, um, due to that leaked draft decision from the Supreme Court, it is very likely in the next couple months that Roe v. Wade will be repealed, set aside, go back to, it'll go back to the states, right? That's what will happen. It will be up to each state to decide. If, in fact, that happens, church... We have an opportunity to do radical hospitality. That's been around almost 50 years. Next year is the 50-year anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Many of you, like I have been, praying for a long time that that moral evil would be eradicated from our society. If that happens, maybe when that happens, we have an opportunity, church, to put our money where our mouth is. If you've been praying that way for for decades that that would end... There are going to be women who are forced to have a baby they do not want. Will you take it? Will you raise it? In the lenses series, I asked the same question. I said, who's going to take these babies? My wife put her hand up. I'm like, oh, my word. (laughs) And we would. We might have to. If you're serious about life, you might have to. That's what radical hospitality looks like. And if you've been praying that way, if you've been praying that that moral evil would end, you better put your money where your mouth is. You got an opportunity to do it. To say to some scared young girl, have your baby. I will raise it. I will love it. Do you know that's how the church grew so fast early on? The Romans practiced uh, something called exposure. And a child was not granted life until the father approved. The father of the family had to say, yup, and give it a name. And until that happened, it wasn't officially alive yet. And so in those moments, they would take those babies. If the dad didn't want it, they would take the baby out to the city dump and leave it there. And the Christians would go out to the dump and they would collect those babies and take them home and raise them as their own. That grow a church pretty fast. Maybe God is calling us to take what used to be normal and make it normal again. You see, it doesn't just require death to self. It also requires a missionary mindset. you got to learn to think like a missionary. See, when you come into this building... On Sunday, you need to think like a missionary. Do you know the I've never been here before look? Do you know that look on people's face? You need to. There's a look. It, you, you, you can see it, it doesn't matter what, what, what color their skin is, it doesn't matter where they're from, it doesn't matter how old they are. Every, it's a universal thing, right? And it's this look. And here's what it looks like I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna equip you. Ready? It looks like this. Mouth slightly open, scanning, scanning, scanning. You see somebody with that look on their face, it is your job to welcome them. That's your mission. Hi, I'm Casey, or whatever your name is. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Would you like to come sit with me? It's really that simple. It, it really is. I'm glad you thank you for being here. What, what brought you into did, did someone invite you? Are you looking for somebody? I, You just ask questions, right? It's the ancient code of hospitality. You're finding out a little more about them. That's what that looks like. And it requires you to think like that. And this church already has a history of doing that. And you've been staring at it this whole service and you might not even realize it. Do you see these flowers? It's Mother's Day. These flowers are from Journey Christian Church in Alaska, our daughter congregation. Chapel Rock planted that church. And so every Mother's Day they send us flowers you got to think like a missionary. That's part of hospitality. It requires having a missionary mindset. And when you do that, when you do that, church, you can change somebody's life. And I want you to hear a story about how that happened. Ashley, would you join me? I, I'm going to invite Ashley Zachary to join me on stage. We, we had a meeting this week, and she told me her story. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I completely went er, hang on the left, changed my plan, because I want the church to hear this. Thank you. I'm going to have, have a seat, please. And I want you to just kind of tell the church the story that you told me, because I was so excited when she came in and started telling me this. I'm like, oh my word, this is exactly what we're talking about.
0: Good morning, church. So um, I already shared this story at the nine o'clock service, but I will say once again, this was unexpected. So (laughs) it was, but you know what? When God wants you to move, you just have to follow his direction um so for those of you who do not know me my name is Ashley I have been a member here for two years some of you may have seen me in passing some of you may not and I can tell you why that's because I hide in the back um right now not anymore usually when I come in I just take a seat go through the service listen to Pastor Casey congregate with a few people and I go home uh, but now you guys know who I am, so hello to every one of you, and God bless you all on this wonderful Mother's Day. Um, so just to pretty much start, um, giving you guys a little backstory of who I am and what you know I have gone through in my life as far as my experience. Um, as far as radical hospitality, this goes in with that. Um, when I was 16 um, years of age, I came to know Christ by way of my aunt, um, who was the eldest of six siblings, which would be my mother as well. Um, But when I was 14 years of age, um, my mother passed away. So to kind of give you guys a little backstory of that, we grew up in a very godless home. I mean, we were not exposed to Christ. Um, We had a Bible that just sat on a mantle. That's pretty much all it did. I mean, it collected dust, literally. Um, So we did not have that type of nurturing as far as a Christian upbringing. However, uh, my mother did wrestle with her own demons. Um, My mother was a drug addict. Um, She was also a gambler, and on top of all of that, she was also a cancer patient. Um, So when I was seven years old, um, my mother had birthed my siblings, and that's at the time when she found out that she had breast cancer. And um, it just progressively got worse. I mean, mentally, physically, she became really depressed, um, and she stayed in her room for many days. Um, So at that age of seven years old, I pretty much was the sister as well as the mother to my siblings. Um, I pretty much took on that role of nurturing them, taking care of them. Um, So much so to the point where I was not going to school. Um, It got to a point where I was in truancy. Um, And so I would go just enough to kind of keep the system from questioning my mother. But eventually it got to a point where I just was not going. It would go for like maybe a week.